When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. So I often see a few minutes of family feud at around 5.30 as I'm eating supper before coming down to the basement to do the show. And today Steve Harvey gives this as the topic. Based on its size, if your bottom were a planet, what planet would it be? They asked 100 people, if your bottom were a planet, based on its size, what planet would it be? And one of the contestants confidently and quickly rings in and says, America. Now, America is many things. A planet is not one of them. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We have some Edmonton Oilers news today, and that involves a couple of players who have been assigned to Europe, two more, in fact. We have Gaetan Haas, who's uh, going to play in the Swiss League, and Evan Bouchard, the highly touted prospect on the blue line, will be going to play in the Swedish Hockey League. Several of their uh, Oilers players and prospects have already uh, been assigned to Sweden for this or to Europe for the start of the season, such as Ryan McLeod. He's uh, he's going to Switzerland. Uh, Philip Broberg, another uh, high end prospect on defense, he's going to the Swedish Hockey League. Raphael Levois, second round draft pick from a couple of years ago. Uh, so you know there are a few guys going to play overseas to stay sharp, and then they'll come back to the Oilers for training camp whenever that starts. Of course, we're uh, you know we're looking at perhaps the December or January start to the next season, and we don't really know what form that will take. On the ice, they are about to get underway. They're singing the anthem at Rogers Place, Dallas and Vegas. Game two. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. This is going to be the last edition of Inside Sports for this week. Now, you're probably thinking, whoa, Reed, what's going on? What's going on? Are, 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 are you going away to star in a movie? Are you playing Matt Damon in Matt Damon's life story? No, it's just that starting tomorrow, we are airing the conference finals on 6.30, Chet, and all the games start at 6.00. So it will preempt inside sports. So you have me tonight, and we're going to have some fun. We got Rob Brown coming up in about 30 seconds. I also want to let you know the Blue Jays lead the Yankees 2-0 in the top of the fifth. And basketball tonight, early in the third quarter, the Heat leading the Bucks 52-47. Second quarter, third quarter just started. I should say the Bucks did stay alive. They avoided the sweep with a win on the weekend, but Miami will try to finish them off tonight. The Raptors will have to win tomorrow to stay alive against the Celtics. And uh, we'll have more on that series with Paul Sir coming up a little bit later on. You can reach out 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. And uh, our Inside the Game analyst from our Oilers broadcast here on 630 Chad, Rob Brown, is on the line. Rob, how's life, man? It's good to talk to you. Life is good, Reed. How are you doing? 
I'm doing very well. It's nice to have you on the show. We were hoping we would uh, be uh, talking every second night as perhaps part of a lengthy Oilers playoff run. That didn't happen, so we have these Oilers players being assigned to European teams to go over play and and stay sharp and get some experience. Uh, Europe on your resume uh, never quite happened. Was it ever close to happening? Uh, Yeah. When I, I had a break in my NHL career where I went to the minors for about five years, and during that I had agreed to a contract over in Switzerland and was just waiting for it to be faxed to me. And somewhere there was a uh, decision made over in Switzerland and they went with Miko Makala and took my contract back away and gave it to Miko instead. And then I always thought I would finish my career in Europe. That was my wife and I's uh, thought process that whenever we felt that North American hockey was over, we would go over to, to Europe and play over there for a few years and enjoy it. But we had kids, we had twins, we found out our little girl had autism. And at that point, we we knew that it was uh, a no-go to Europe. So I would have loved to have the opportunity to play in Europe, but I never did get the chance. Sorry, what country were you in? What league were you going to go to? The Swiss League. The Swiss League, okay, which is usually one of the higher thought-of leagues uh, over there. I think it's kind of been, well, the KHL, Sweden, and then maybe uh, the Swiss League with a couple others kind of third through fifth. I, I, I mean, it might change from year to year, but it's kind of the impression I've always got. Well, it's funny too, Reed, that at, I'd retired. I'd moved back home. I hadn't played hockey in three years other than playing a couple beer league games with my buddies. And I got a phone call three years after retiring from a team over in Switzerland that had asked if I would come back and play. And I was talking to, I don't know if it was their GM or, or their coach. I, I was so stunned. I got this phone call and they said, you know that I'm, I haven't played in three years. Oh, yeah, yeah, you come over for a couple of weeks and, and you'll get in shape in a couple of weeks. I said, I, I spent 16 years playing pro hockey and some say I was never in shape. I'm not sure in two weeks after three years sitting out it's going to help. So he actually, they offered me a contract and gave me the weekend to think about it. And it was very, very tempting, but I would have absolutely embarrassed myself after three years of not playing. So I had to turn them down. Was the, and I, I don't necessarily expect you to say an exact dollar value, but was the, the money... Um, you know, respectable where you would have, would have been oh, worth your time, maybe. I, oh, absolutely! I, I can say that. it was two hundred and fifty thousand American. Oh, really? I, I I can tell you without embarrassing myself right now that I'm not making that on six thirty. Said Reed. No fair I, comment. I, I took a pay cut staying here, uh, but I, I have a feeling if I went over there, it would have been a short-lived contract because there was no way I could have played at that level at that time. So. Well, that's cool. You were still uh, you were still on the radar, though. That's pretty neat. Dallas and Vegas are underway. Of course, I'll keep you updated. They're just a minute and a half into the first period, and as I mentioned, we'll have live conference final games until the end of the third round, starting tomorrow, and then we'll bring you games on the Stanley Cup final as well. Rob Brown is on the other end of the line. So uh, Dallas and Vegas here. Dallas is up one nothing. Man, Rob, I, I I gotta tell you, and as you know, I'm rarely right, uh, but I picked Dallas to win the Stanley Cup last fall and and i stuck with that when we did our playoff predictions now now who knows if they're going to get there so much can happen but i just look at uh haskinen lindell klingberg you know even alexiak's playing well andre sekra who you and i came to appreciate here in edmonton uh you know is their fifth defenseman on their bottom pair made a nice pass to set up that overtime goal so i know now dallas is scoring more in the playoffs than they did in the regular season so that they're they've overcome that to this point but i just looked at that d mobile can pass and i thought that that's they got a lot of good guys that they can have on the ice throughout the game 
And add to that, they've got two very good goaltenders. Their backup goaltender right now is is carrying this team with Bishop being out. And the trades they made in the offseason, the pickups they made. I mean, they get a couple of veteran players in Perry and Pavelski. Now, Perry has passed his due date as a first or second line player, but he can play third line. And Oilers fans know how effective he can be and how much of an edge he plays with. But Pavelski, all he does is score big goals at big moments. The Dallas Stars are a team that are made for playoff hockey. The refs put away their whistles a little bit more, and they're a mean team. Their, their, their star players are just as physical. You think of a Ben, how physical he is when he's out there. So they, they have a good hockey club. Uh, it, it's going to be a battle. I like Vegas, too. Vegas was my team that I was picking to go to the Stanley Cup Finals from the West. I think the two... Uh, teams that deserve it the most are probably there right now. I mean, Dallas had to beat a very good Colorado team. Eventually, Dallas just wore them down physically. They were just so physical against Colorado, and that's what Vegas has talked about after the first game. They're not used to playing that style of hockey. They haven't played that style yet in the playoffs. Dallas finishes every check. They are hard on the net. They are hard in front of their own, in their own zone. They're hard in the corners. There's not a lot of room out there, so Vegas found it very tough in the first game. Having said that, uh, I do believe this game will go six and seven, and eventually it's going to be one goaltender stealing a game, and that's the team's going to win the series. Well, yeah, goaltending, and, I, and I'm going to have Thomas Drance on from the Athletic Vancouver in the next half hour, and I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to disrespect what the Canucks did, and they're another Canadian market, so I know you know they're they're usually popular there and, and discussed, but. Does Vancouver even beat St. Louis without the edge in goaltending? And don't get me wrong, they did a lot of good things against the Blues, but they certainly don't take Vegas to seven games without Demko stepping in like that. No, but at the end of the, the playoffs, the team that wins usually is the team that was the best goalie. I mean, Tampa Bay's got the best goalie in hockey. Look at how they're uh, yeah. dominating in the playoffs. So goaltending is everything. And uh, Vancouver, I like Vancouver as a hockey team. And you and I talked about this at the beginning of the season. You've got friends that are that have played in the National Hockey League and told you before the season started, you know what, watch out for the Vancouver Canucks. They are a team that has got a ton of skill, a ton of young players that are coming on. And we saw that as the season went on. Uh, but, yeah, they had great goaltending. I mean, uh, the, the, that Demko comes in and stands on his absolute head and probably should have. He was probably as good in the, the, the final game that he lost that he was in the, the previous two. So Vancouver's got great goaltending. That's why they're a good team. they got a good enough goaltending to allow their skilled players to uh, to find their, their way in a hockey game. And their their skilled players, I love Bo Horvat as a hockey player. So, yeah, did they benefit and, and go further in the playoffs because of goaltending? They did. But they had players score big goals at big moments as well. Vancouver is a team that you're going to see for a number of years because their star players are all still at the right age to go – you know, a five or seven year run. All right. So Tampa Bay crushed the Islanders in game one. I don't expect the whole series to be that lopsided. I, here's, here's the thing as I look at that series, Rob and the Islanders total respect for what they're doing and what they've done They're They have their four lines deep. They're playing very dogged and persistent. They're, they're making big plays at the right time. The two goalies seem to be interchangeable for the most part, but I look at how Tampa Bay is playing, especially in the wake of their disappointment last year, and I think to myself, Tampa Bay does everything the Islanders do well, but I think they do it even better. And like you mentioned, Vasilevsky should be the best goalie in the series. And oh, by the way, I think Victor Hedman's, I mean, I know there are two rounds left. To me, Victor Hedman's the Conn Smythe winner right now. I agree. So in that, Tampa Bay is better. 
on the back end. You got Hedman and McDonough. Tampa Bay is better. Up front, you've got Point and Kucherov. Tampa Bay is better. So they're better at all of the key positions in this series. The Islanders are, are four, four lines deep, but so is Tampa. And Tampa right now is missing its, you know, its second best player, third best player. A guy scores 50 goals every second year, Steven Stamkos, and you don't even notice it. So I, I give the Islanders absolute credit for what they've done, but I just think that, as you mentioned, what Tampa went through last year and the disappointment of losing out to Columbus, I think they played with an edge this year, and they went and picked up a couple of role players that are playing you know, in depth roles that has allowed them to compete against teams that are four lines deep. They're not just relying on Kucherov and Point to carry the team. They've got other guys that uh, they went out and got that are making differences in hockey games, and not by scoring three or four goals, but by getting the right uh, shot block, by killing off a penalty, by controlling the puck in the offensive zone late in a hockey game. That is a deep team, so I, I, I think the Islanders will come back. I think they will make the series competitive. But to me, and I've, I've felt all along it was going to be a Vegas-Tampa Bay final, and um, right now I believe Tampa is the sure of the two bets. All right, five and a half minutes into the first period, no score, Dallas and Vegas. I want to ask you about something else that happened over the weekend, Rob, because you and I enjoy watching other sports, and sometimes there's... Uh, some kind of a standout or unusual play, and that certainly happened at the U.S. Open with Novak Djokovic whapping the ball away and and hitting a lines person in the throat. And, well, there is a pretty severe penalty. He's out of the tournament, forfeited the match, out of the tournament. Uh, you know, all his stats and winnings from the tournament or, you know, points accumulated from the tournament are, are wiped out. It's like he was he was never there. I and we and of course we've seen the video of, of Shapovalov, the Canadian kid, a few years ago, really fired the ball in frustration and hit the ump in in the eye. I, part of me is like, man, that's a that's a harsh ruling on Djokovic. But part of me is like, well, I guess if there are fans and and kids and there you know there would have been ten fifteen thousand people there, they don't want athletes just blindly uh, firing balls around the facility whenever they're angry. But that that was a weird moment. It was. I saw. I read the highlight, highlights or headline before I saw the highlight. So I was like, oh, what did he do? And then I watched the highlight. I'm like, okay, to me that was too harsh. I, I, I've seen tennis players. And I mean, I'm the biggest John McEnroe fan ever, and uh, sometimes embarrassed to say it when you watch some of the highlights of what he used to do. But I've seen tennis players where they take their racket and they bang it a hundred times into the ground, and it, they smash it until there's nothing left. And they lose, They get a, a point foul, or they get a warning, or they get something along that line, or a fine. What he did, uh, there was no intent. I didn't believe there was any malice in it, and it wasn't like he took the ball out of frustration and hit it as hard as he could somewhere. It was just he dropped it and hit it back, like with a flick of his, his wrist. And I read one tweet where someone said they've seen ball boys take hundred mile an hour serves to the head without blinking an eye at this poor ball girl went down like she'd been shot i to me it was no if you want to find him a point if you want to give him a a ten thousand twenty five thousand whatever fine go ahead but to me it just he didn't look he just hit the ball back with and it wasn't like he crushed it it just was like the absolute worst pop possible that he could have hit the ball so yeah to me it was way too harsh and, I mean, this is what you actually did is you took the U.S. Open away from him. 
I mean, the last, what is I think it was 13, 15 um, majors have been won by three guys. And he's won the majority of them. And the other two guys that were in that threesome aren't in the tournament. Like, he was going to win the U.S. Open. There's nobody that can beat him that is playing in the U.S. Open. Now, I'm saying all of this, and it has benefited a young Canadian man. Right. Because that's who he would be playing tonight, our young Canadian Dennis. Dennis, so a big break for the Canadian that may get him to the semifinals for the first time ever. But to me, it was way too harsh uh, a penalty. And I thought it was wrong. Having said that, it's a rule that they have in place. And uh, I guess they try to protect uh, the people that are volunteering or, or that are working the games. Yeah, Shapovalov coming up a little bit later on tonight against uh, Busta. So we'll update uh, you on that one when we can here on Inside Sports. Rob, great to have you on the show, man. Always appreciate your thoughts. Hope the family's doing well, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Enjoy your few days off. That is Rob Brown. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. this one Kellen? oh a little request from the text line this is wild eyes by the stampeders by cowtown bob requested by cowtown bob and his amazing troop of performance cows several performances over the long weekend cowtown bob they are looking great we are halfway through the first period we have no score between Dallas and Vegas. We'll keep you updated. And starting tomorrow in this time slot, live hockey. We'll have both conference finals starting tomorrow night. we got to take a quick time out here for the news and weather. The Canucks, uh, a spirited run that ultimately ended in that Game 7 loss to the Golden Knights. What is next for them? Do- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do we believe the hype that they are a team on the rise? Or are there still a lot of holes there to fill? Thomas Drance from The Athletic when we get back. Don't forget, Inside Sports canned ham delivered to your home whenever you sign up for the podcast. Hams may not be available. 4-16 left in the first period. No score. Dallas and Vegas, Game 2 of the West Final. Game 2 of the East Final is tomorrow. We will have it for you on 6.30, Chet. Starting tomorrow, all the remaining NHL playoff games, the Stanley Cup playoff games, will be on 6.30, Chet. We're happy to bring you those. In the bottom of the fifth, the Blue Jays lead the Yankees 2-1. 
Jays coming in with a record of 23 and 18. Yankees are 21 and 20. Basketball tonight, a minute left in the third quarter. Heat lead the Bucks 70-65. Miami trying to finish off that series. Raptors tomorrow. And later on tonight, it's the Lakers and Houston. That series is tied 1-1. NFL kickoff is Thursday. Didn't have any preseason games. The season gets going with the traditional Thursday night opener featuring the defending Super Bowl champions. It's the Kansas City Chiefs will be taking on the Houston Texans. Man, that felt weird yesterday. Labor Day with no football, with no Battle of Alberta. But we still have a story related to that coming up on the show a little bit later on. We're going to talk to a fan of the Edmonton football team who went to Calgary for Labor Day Classic festivities, even though there wasn't a game. So we'll see how that played out a little later on on the show. Uh, I mentioned the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, they fought hard. They hung in there. They took the Golden Knights to Game 7. Ultimately, they were the team that did not win. And I've been really interested reading some of the Canucks uh, post-mortem material, the end-of-season analysis, some of the comments uh, you know, by their fans on social media. And part of me looks at that team and says, yeah, that's they're, they're an up-and-coming team. Quinn Hughes is outstanding. They got Pe- Pedersen. You know, they got Horvat. They got, they got some other good players there, and, and good for them for getting the playoff experience. And then there's another part of my brain that says, well, hold on a minute. Vancouver was 17th overall in the NHL in the regular season, which was a long time ago, but kind of the definition of right in the middle of the pack. Um, you know, would, would have had to fight for a playoff spot if they'd gone the full 82 games. And really, um, in my mind, had had no business going the distance again, Vegas, if, if not for goaltending, as we bring in Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver. That's what's bouncing around my, my brain about the team you cover, Thomas. And what were the shots the last three games? Was it 114 to 55 for Vegas or something like that? <laughs> Sounds about right, but even going yeah. back to game one, they were outshot by 103 over a seven-game series. So while they made it way closer than they should have, and I do think parts of it was game plan, right? Like, they needed luck. They knew they needed extraordinary goaltending. They knew that the more time spent on special teams, the better. But, you know, functionally, this is not a team yet in their development. And also in terms of their depth pieces, which are actually their most expensive pieces, they can truly hang with a team like Vegas. And I think they knew that. I think they played that way. And you can almost see head coach Travis Green sort of grimace when he's asked about the shot totals, partly because, you know, he knew, like, he knew what the series was going to look like at five on five. And... It wasn't pretty. It it did underscore the distance still that this team's going to need to travel if they're going to actually join, you know, the the sort of league of contenders in the NHL as opposed to the league of teams capable of making the playoffs and maybe making some noise with some good fortune. I will say I will say this, and to me, they're going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch in the off season. But I mean, clearly, Quinn Hughes is. Um, I mean, I always temper my expectations with with young players, but he he was phenomenal. I mean, an absolute game changer back there for the Canucks. Yeah, he's a special player, and he is wired differently. I think there's times where he's carrying the puck and someone's checking him and it seems like he doesn't have a pulse. 
Uh, there's just no panic threshold at all in Quinn Hughes's game. And honestly, at the age of 20, he reminds me of watching like a 35-year-old Brian Campbell. It's just in terms of the way that he controls the puck, dominates play, effectively defends 150 feet away from his own net by just making sure that all the shots are going the Canucks' way. To have the level of gravity that he has at the NHL level at the age of 20 is honestly mind-blowing. And I do think speaks to a preternatural level of hockey IQ, uh, the product of growing up in a family with you know, uh, elite players and being around <laughs> professional players his whole life, right? His dad worked as a player development guy with the Maple Leafs. He played in you know, the GTHL with some of the best players his age in the world. Um, he's just been around and immersed in the absolute highest levels of hockey his entire life. And as such, he's got like a natural instinct for the game. It's been tremendous to watch him play. And sort of what's going to be so fascinating about this Canucks season, our offseason in part, is while we like to look at a team whose best players are a 21-year-old center and a 20-year-old defender and say, boy, you know, sky's the limit for them in the years to come. The fact of the matter is, is that Hughes and Pedersen are both entering the last year of their entry-level contracts, and thereafter, they're going to be 10 times as expensive. And so how does the club sort of navigate making sure they take advantage of this high-leverage opportunity? You've got two players making, you know, two top 25 players in the NHL probably, maybe top 20, making a combined, you know, $2 million against the cap next year. How do you make sure you take advantage of that? but also do so in a way that doesn't sacrifice your ability to contend when they're truly in their prime seasons. That's going to be a very difficult tight walk, tight rope well, for Canucks well, management to walk. And let me ask you this, because I, I was talking about this with, uh, with, with Dave Campbell, the, the producer of the show, when we were talking about the Canucks. Like, so they have Hughes. Like, do the Canucks, though, actually have a good defense? It, Edler is 34. Myers is 30 and still under contract for four more years. And, and uh, to me, Tyler Myers is, is very inconsistent. Maybe you saw something different in Vancouver. Tanev, you know, gives you everything he has. Uh, Stetcher's an RFA. I think he kind of has a defined skill set. Like, are, how is that defense actually as a whole? You see them every game. Not good enough. Not close <laughs> to good enough. A, a big reason why Vegas was able to pin them in their own end for long stretches of that 17 series. And so, you know, I think there's no question this Canucks team is going to be shopping for a horse, especially a a right-handed defensive horse, if they can find one, a guy who can play physical, a guy who can play in his own end, Uh, especially in the event that they lose Tanev, who is an unrestricted free agent. And while his abilities as a skater and, and in transition have diminished, remains just an absolute savant in the defensive end. Like, maybe as high an IQ defensive player as you'll find in hockey, even as his feet don't necessarily get him around quite the way they used to. So, you know, the Canucks defense needs a ton of work. There's no question about it. Uh, And, you know, they don't have a ton coming in the pipeline, right? You you sort of like Jack Rathbone's chances. Uh, I know management's still high on Ole Olevi. I I think the jury's still out there in in a major way. Uh, they had one of the top American League rookies in Brogan Rafferty, but man, he's 25. Like it's not, uh, not like he was a 21-year-old uh, fresh out the dub lighting it up. And you know, Jet Wu had an okay season in Calgary, but sort of fell off the, you know, Canadian World Junior Team radar. So 
you know, how do they get better internally along the back end? It's going to take a ton of work, and there's no question about it. Uh, they may need to consider the trade market. They certainly are going to need to consider their free agent options. And already rumblings linking them to the likes of Tyson Berry have, have sort of surfaced. But again, this team's issue is not filling the net. This team doesn't need a stud defender to run the first power play unit, right? This is a team that needs guys who can limit the quality of shots they surrender because throughout the season and throughout the playoffs, even though they were better defensively in the postseason, you know, that was a big issue for this team and probably the biggest thing that's holding them back from maybe taking that step into being, you know, actually, legitimately an upper echelon NHL team as opposed to just a team that can win a couple of playoff rounds by, by their, you know, by, by hanging on uh, with their fingernails. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some general similarities to the Oilers, a good team hoping to become great, and how do you well, fill in those holes? Right, the 2017 Oilers, right? Like, that's sort of the, the watchword in Vancouver is, you want to believe that this is the 09 Blackhawks, right? Right. But there's a every chance that this is the 2015 Flames or the 2017 Oilers, right? That they've caught lightning in a bottle and it might not be repeatable. And the fact of the matter is I think those concerns are extremely valid, especially considering all of what Canucks management needs to accomplish this summer. You know, it's going to be – I mean, I, I've been saying that it's the most important offseason in franchise history. I believe that just based on the quality of their core and the leverage of next season with those two players on entry-level deals. You know, there's no question this club's going to need to figure out how to do a lot of different things all at once, including, you know, retaining to Foley and Markstrom, shedding bottom six salaries that are extremely inefficient in a flat-cap environment. And – you know, upgrading the defense and ideally finding like a third line center too. And boy, that's an awfully long laundry list for one sort of pandemic abbreviated offseason. Well, the Oilers need a third line center as well. There have been rumblings about Tyson Berry to the <laughs> to the like, like every every team that wants a every team that wants a right shot defenseman. There's going to be rumblings about Tyson Berry. The situation in goal is is different. There, to me, there's no comparison between the Oilers um, and the Canucks, and, and maybe. Maybe the Oilers might have a young guy or two in net pan out down the road. But to me, like Demko was outstanding. Markstrom, like, okay, so what happens now with Markstrom? What, in your mind, what happens in net here? This is going to be really interesting. Markstrom is a UFA. Yeah, so Markstrom, we reported this today, and Jim Benning essentially confirmed it when he did his season exit media availability. But Markstrom remains this club's first priority. He is the first domino that will fall on the player personnel side for this Canucks team this offseason. And they won't get it done. Now, the problem is they've had 14 months to get it done. And every time they've negotiated, they haven't gained enough traction to do more than just punt the ball sort of further down the line. They haven't had serious negotiations since the late spring, that sort of April-May juncture well into the pause. The fact is is that they're not close and the Canucks offers from the Markstrom camps from the perspective of the Markstrom camp have not been great and the Markstrom camp believes that they have you know options and leverage and they're probably right Markstrom or Leonard depending on your mileage are the best two goaltenders available and I think there's a lot of general managers and a lot of clubs around the league that prefer Markstrom so it's not going to be easy for the Canucks to get this done. I think they're really leery about giving Markstrom, for example, full no-move protection. And, and the reason for that being, of course, the expansion crunch and the fact that they have Demko. If you sign Markstrom to a deal with an NMC, 
that's sort of a flag to the league that you have no leverage on Demco, right? So right. sort of that sort of hurts you too. You need to preserve your flexibility, even if Markstrom is your long-term answer in net. And for this Canucks team, as good as Demco was, as happy as they were to see that, as much as they've telegraphed this, like Demco didn't come out of nowhere. He's been the heir apparent in Vancouver for six years, right? This is not a new thing, but. You know, they aren't going to be so reactive as to completely change their plans based on those three games. They know what Markstrom is. Markstrom's a key voice in that room. He's, he means more in terms of his weight to that group and in terms of his relationship with both Travis Green and Canucks goaltender Ian Clark. I think the Canucks value that, and I think they think Markstrom values that too. I think they believe that at the end of the day, this makes too much sense for all sides and they'll be able to get him maybe not below market value, but it's something that's fair and reasonable for both sides and, and keeps everybody happy. I suspect they're going to grind to try and find that sort of middle ground and we'll sort of see. Perhaps they're playing brinksmanship and playing with fire here. I'm sure it will feel like that at times over the next five weeks in the lead up to, or I guess four weeks now, right? In the lead up to October 9th. Uh, which is the free agent frenzy day this year. So it's going to be dicey. But I do think at the end of the day, this club has one major priority. That major priority is keeping Markstrom. And, and I suspect they'll find a way to get it done. But it might be by the skin of their teeth. Thomas Drantz from The Athletic joining us tonight covers the Canucks. I, I got to throw one more at you. And you're always so generous with your time and, and, and so well informed whenever we have you on. So thanks for doing this again. Oh, my pleasure, man. There's been a lot of profanity on your Twitter feed lately. <laughs> Tell me That's about true. Game of Chirps. Yeah, for sure. So not safe for work. Game of Chirps is the weekly feature. It's a compilation of players cursing on the ice, basically. <laughs> you know, referees. Any anything that I overhear in an empty Rogers place during the playoff gets transcribed, saved, and compiled into a weekly feature where we provide you know, all of the language that the NHL has set up a tape delay to avoid broadcasting into your homes and, and to your children. So, you know, don't send your kids, but if you'd like to if you'd like to hear or read a column in which the F word is basically transcribed or, or mentioned eighteen times in a row in a vague hockey context, the game of chirps is the feature for you. It's the best of what we overhear every week within the Western bubble. Uh, I enjoy it. So I don't know what that says about me, but it's good. (laughs) It's fun. There's a certain rhythm and and charm, even if it's a rough charm. That's a good way to put it. To the staccato rhythms of of hockey chatter and chirping. And um, it's been my pleasure to document it. I'm sure there's some people who don't love it. uh, And fair enough, you know, to each their own. Uh, I think there's been significant demand for it. And it's a service we've been proud to provide at The Athletic. All right. We're sending you a canned ham, Thomas. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This is fun. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Anytime. All the best. That is Thomas Drantz from the Athletic Vancouver. And I, the Canucks are going to be interesting to watch. I mean, another Canadian team and obviously in Edmonton's division and, and a rival over the years. And uh, Markstrom, the, the big name there. And uh, he, as he said, that uh, Thomas thinks that is priority number one for the Canucks to get him locked up. Are they? Who, is everybody going after Tyson Berry? Like, are the Lloyd Border Kings going to try to find to get signed Tyson Berry? You know, is he going to the to the uh, <laughs> is he is he going to the Clarenville Caribou? Maybe going to go for the Allen Cup? Like, does everybody want Tyson Berry? Probably seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three to call or text. Back after the break.
Hey, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630 Chat. I enjoy this text. This person simply says, everyone other than the Leafs wants Tyson Berry. <laughs> How bad do you want Tyson Berry? I assume uh, most, if not all of you, are supporters of the Edmonton Oilers. Another texter simply says, nurse for Demko. Well, like I said, uh, I think the Oilers got to improve their goaltending. Demko certainly with a lot of potential. And he's not hes not incredibly young. I mean, he's 24 years old. He's uh, an RFA after next season. He'll make just over a million this coming year. Uh, I mean, if you could get if you could get Demko, you'd, you'd have to do that, wouldn't you? Other than trading maybe, uh, obviously, McDavid or Dreisaitl, some other players you'd prefer to hang on to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I, I'd certainly uh, consider doing that. And, and look, I, I'm not, I know there's Darnell Nurse has become a very uh, divisive player over the years. Some people love him. Some people can't stand him. I think if um, – uh, I, I think we got to be honest in our assessment of Nurse. I think he's a, a second-pairing player. He skates well. Uh, he doesn't always have the, the vision that we wish he did in terms of passing the puck. He, he, he can play a physical and mean game and stand up for his teammates. Uh, when his minutes creep up or he has to play like a first pairing defenseman or, or play a little more on special teams, I think his overall play declines, but he's, I think he's a good player. Uh, but if you could trade a good player for uh, a very hot young goalie prospect, wouldn't you have to do that if you're the Edmonton Oilers, whether it's Nurse or somebody else? I don't know. Just some of my thoughts as I sit in my basement alone on a Tuesday night. <laughs> when, I, when I put it that way, Kellen, it sounds like I have a really sad job. I actually love my job. <laughs> but, but when you put it that way, <laughs> hey, Reed, what does your job involve? Well, if part of the day I sit by my alone by myself in my basement... <laughs> Oh, man, 2020, If uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted this. So there we go. So. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, oh, Al says, do you know if Amanda Rummery got her bikes back? Uh, Al, I don't know. Uh, she, she did say she would try to let me know if she did, or I imagine it would have been in the news. Um, but I have not heard anything. So I, I'm guessing not. Um, maybe I'll send her a text and ask her and uh, I can update you Al. I hope she did. She's, she was awesome to have on the show last week. Edmonton Paralympian uh, told the incredible story was in an ATV accident. She had to get her left arm amputated at the elbow. Basically she lost the the use of her arm had, had nerve damage and uh, they amputated at the elbow and she became a Paralympian as a result and is now the top Canadian female Paralympian at the 100 to 200 and uh, 400 meter distances. And that was really cool to have her on the show last week. But unfortunately, yeah, some, a couple of bikes were stolen out of her garage and they were, the handlebars were modified so she could use them since she only has her right, her right hand. And uh, unfortunately someone took them. So we're trying to see if they can be tracked down or if maybe somebody uh, hears the story and just decides to quietly return them. That would also be acceptable, but uh, I'll see if I get a reply from her. I'll thanks for that. Okay. Second period coming up, Dallas and Vegas. They are scoreless. We'll keep you updated. The Raptors will play to keep their season alive tomorrow. We'll get some perspective from basketball Alberta's Paul Sir when we get back.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.